I, I want you to follow along with me when I preach. Nothing about the Bible is secret. Nothing about the Bible is for smart people or levels of smart people. I want you all to get it. And so I, I, I've, I've told you, I've said, if I'm, if I'm preaching and I, I get out of the Bible, I want you to come tell me because I want you to know. Well, just so that I don't ruin my reputation behind the, the pulpit, I made a mistake a little earlier. And Brother Hera so kindly texted me. I was thinking we had 10 months till Christmas, and we were halfway, you know, two months into it. And so I said we're a fifth of the way through. I really do know my fractions and my math. But thank you, Brother Hera, for keeping me honest and straight. We're only a sixth of the way. So I'm just a tad bit more depressed than I was before. But, uh, no, I, I, I love the Word of God. And I might get my fractions wrong, but I don't ever want to get the Word of God wrong. And I want to I take you on a journey. In fact, it, rather than me reading it, I, I want to just kind of take us through it. So why don't we close our eyes and ask the Lord to let His Word be alive to us right now. Father... God, we're about to delve into the Word, and I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you would direct our hearts, direct our path. God, as we get into the Word of God, as these saints are holding the Bible in their lap, and as I'm preaching the Word that you've given me, I pray that you would let it fall on ears that are ready to receive. Pray that it would fall on minds that are ready to comprehend, fall on lives that are ready to respond. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. I'm going to do my best to preach and not knock this candle over. We'll see how that works. Sorry, my wife said I had to put a thing right there so the wax don't drip. If you have your, your, your Bibles, and I'm not going to read it verbatim, but let me read it, uh, or, or let me bring you back to the story. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, the Bible says, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which means 3 p.m. And in the understanding that we have. And there was a man that was lame, and he had been so for over 40 years. He, 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 they would carry him to one of the gates of the temple, and there uh, he would ask, he would beg for alms, he would ask for money, he would ask for things. And, and when Peter and John began to walk there into that temple, they, he saw them. And, and, and I don't know if he recognized them, I'm not for sure if he you know, said, hey, I, I've been hearing what's happening, but the Bible says he looked upon them expecting to receive something. He said, alms, alms. And Peter looked at him and he said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. The Bible teaches us that immediately this, this man that had been lame for over 40 years, immediately his, his ankle bones knit back together and he leaped and he ran shouting and rejoicing. Later on, you find that he wouldn't let Peter and James go. He was so incredibly thankful for what was happening in their life. I've heard the story told of, 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 of churches and denominations that have, have shown one, one story says that there was a man taking a tour of the Vatican. 
And as he walked there, and the Vatican is one of the world's greatest repositories of of art and, and icons and treasure. And they were walking through and they began to see all the things. And it was said that the tour guide made the statement, look at this, never again will we ever have to say silver and gold, have I none. To which the man piped up, he said, that might be, sir. But also you'll never be able to say in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. I'm not against money, I'm not against treasure. I hope one day I walk out in my backyard and I find an X that marks the spot and I big up a whole chest of Spanish doubloons. But if that ain't going to happen, then I'll tell you the thing that means the most to me is that somewhere in my life I'm able to walk in the world that God has put me in and I am able to help others see his glory and see his power. I believe that the days of apostolic revival and apostolic healings and miracles are not something that we look fondly into the past and say they used to be, but I believe that God wants it to happen right now with you. He wants it to happen with me there needs to be some miracle signs and wonders that follow them that believe the great commission it's how it, it, you you find parts of it in all of the different gospels but in a nutshell it said go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to everyone you come in contact with and i want you if they are sick pray for them and they shall be healed if danger comes while you are trying to spread the gospel don't be afraid if a scorpion bites you you'll be okay god will take care of you if sickness comes god will be there i'm telling you the greatest hours of the church are right now, right now, we were, I was joking with Brother uh, Tim Harding and Sister Sharla earlier before church this morning. I had, I had sent them a, 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 or sent him a, a song. It was a bluegrass group that I'd found, and he likes that stuff. And I sent it to him, and he made the statement. He said, I was a little concerned that they were singing new songs because it was a bluegrass group that was singing new songs. Except the problem was the new song that he was referring to was Mercy Came Running by Phillips, Craig, and Dean, which is about 20 years old. And then I begin to realize, I don't know where Tim is, is he back there? I begin to realize I've reached that age where I remember the good old days. Anybody like that? I've now, 20 years, you know, songs that, that I go, oh man, those are awesome, those are new, they're now 20 years old. Can I tell you that there are no good old days when it comes to the church of the living God? God has has destined the church to be a timeless entity that no matter what country, no matter what demographics, no matter what social status, no matter what the political climate is, no matter what is happening, the church is relevant right now and it's going to be relevant if God tarries another hundred years. It doesn't go out of business because the things of God are not Timeful. They're they're not time. They don't don't exist just in a time period. There is no apostolic age that as long as Peter and Paul were on the earth, miracles were, and then here we are. We just got to come to church and clap our hands. Absolutely not. But here's the thing about Acts chapter 3. As far as I can tell, this is the first time since Jesus has vacated the earth that miracles have happened. You have to think about it. I just, I want you to see it as I see it. This is how my brain works. 
I like to see the story unfold. I love to read. I, I've gotten away from it as, uh, like I did as a child, but as a child, I read everywhere. You can ask my mom, literally everywhere. There's ain't a place in my life that I didn't have books or multiple books in. In fact, when I go home and, and go to mom and dad's house on Christmas, I think I had three different books that I started. There was one in the living room. There was one uh, in the bedroom. I, I love to read, and when I read, I love to watch the story play out of my mind. Anybody else do that? There were thousands upon thousands of people that followed Jesus and loved what Jesus did. Miracles, signs, and wonders. He fed the 10,000. He fed 5,000. He walked on water. He healed blinded eyes. He opened deaf ears. He, he, he made the lame to walk. He touched the, paralytic, uh, the paralyzed people. He touched those that were possessed of the devil. And now he's gone. And you had to think that there were some of those scoffers that says we'll never see that again. And here you are, Peter and John, walking in the temple. The man is saying, hey, I need some, I need some money. Help me out. And uh, they said, well, I don't have any of that. But if I, if I could take you a chapter back, I'd take you to Acts chapter 2, man. I'd take where we were in an upper room waiting for the promise of the Father and suddenly there came a sound as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house and God himself is now living in me. I don't have to walk by him. He walks with me. He walks in me. And that same power that Jesus had on earth, he said he was going to give it to his disciples. In fact, he said, I will give you more than you ever dreamed of. You will do more works and greater works than I ever did. That's what Jesus said. And now Peter and John are doing exactly that. How could they do it? Let me take you, please. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25 tells us a story, and I, I am going to take the story out of the original context, and, and, and there, is a, there is absolutely a, a first way to interpret this. In biblical interpretation and biblical understanding, then you need to realize that there is a main interpretation and then there are also secondary interpretations. What that means is uh, when, when, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he first wrote that to the Roman church, right? So that means the first understanding is that it was Paul writing to the Roman church. But there's a second understanding that applies to you and I. So in the book of Matthew chapter 25, you find a parable of the Lord. He said the parable, the kingdom of heaven, will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. We know how the story goes. Five were foolish and carried no extra oil. Five were smart and carried some extra oil with them. The, 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 the wedding ceremonies of the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and kind of that, that place, they were elaborate affairs that would last hours upon hours. It was not the church service that they, they lived for like we see in a wedding ceremony, but there was feasts and there were processions and there were things that happened. And they didn't have any street lamps. Amron UE hadn't uh, got there. Laclede hadn't got there. Quiver River hadn't showed up yet. And so if you were going to walk down the street, you really needed to carry some light. Those that could afford to do so, those that, that maybe had a little more money, they could hire some people to carry lamps with them. And so they had uh, ten virgins that were ready to carry their lamps. As the parable unfolds, the bridegroom and the party went on long. 
None of you like to hang out in the dark. Neither did they. They were burning their lamps that whole time. But as they got through the night, their lamps began to draw dim and their oil began to run dry. So it was that when they knew it was about time for the bridegroom to come and they were to perform their duty of guiding them to the home and guiding them to the place, he and his bride, the, the ones that, that saw their lamps going low, they said, hey, we're about low and, and all the stores are closed. I, I see you got some extra oil. Can I grab some of your oil? The ones that were wise said, no, because we have enough oil for our lamps. If we give you some, none of us will last. So it was that the Lord teaches us, and of course the first and main interpretation of this is to be ready for the coming of the Lord. That you cannot just say, well I got the Holy Ghost when I was 6 years old and now I'm 55 years old and you've never been filled again and you've never let God touch your life and so your lamp has been running low and then that trumpet's going to sound, you better be ready. That's the first, and that is the main interpretation. But I would like to tell you and, and, and to, to extrapolate out of that a secondary lesson that we need to understand. I put before you two things, a candle and a lamp. Today I want to preach to you, I want to talk to you, that you have got to not be consumed, but rather you've got to be filled. The interesting things about both of these is that they do the exact same purpose. They light. If I turned all the lights off, they would do the same thing. But here's the thing about this candle. Depending on how long I preach tonight will depend on how low that candle will burn. I don't know how long it takes to burn, but that'll be how long I preach. I'm just kidding. Some of y'all would just start walking out. You'd say, I got Sister Christine's tacos. I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm, it's bad enough to walk into church at 5.30 and smell them cooking. But uh, the, this candle is being consumed. It's already lost about a half an inch from the time that I have lit it till now. When that candle has run its course, as that candle burns, it creates the wax, it, it melts the wax, the wax is soaked up into the wick, and it's what's burning is the, the, the oil in that wax. But as it burns down, it will reach a point. It will reach a point, Sister Stacy, until there's nothing left to burn. When it does, it will sputter and it will go out because that candle was consumed. When that happens, you only have one other option. You got to go back to the candle box. You got to pull another candle out. You got to put it there. You got to light it. You got to let it run its course. It's going gonna, it's gonna to burn up. It's going to self consume. And you just keep doing that over and over and over. But a lamp, on the other hand, is something special. I can't really do it to this lamp because of the nature of it. But if you've ever seen the lamps that they used in Jesus' time, you would see a little lamp that sometimes it looks like a little foot, if you will. They would have wicks, if, and I'm just trying to give you an idea. I should have had one up here. There's one similar right there. It only has one hole, but I've seen some that have multiple holes. And that lamp that you see in the picture, thank you, uh, Brother Andy, for finding that for me. But you look at that, you see that, that on the end it's burning, but in the middle there's a hole. What that means is, they can keep filling that lamp 
And, and, and if you will, that lamp has the potential to never go out. See, here's what I've learned in life. Here, here's what I've come to the conclusion. I have come that, 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 that too many Christians burn out. Too many Christians live their life like a candle. They took uh, the words of Jesus literally, that we are the light of the world. What, what man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel? And we've proudly proclaimed we're a candle, and we're not careful. That candle burns out because the candle cannot be replenished. If I was preaching this to, to um, anybody else outside of the church, I could talk about burnout. Any of you had a job you got burned out of? You didn't even want to go to work anymore. You didn't want, it's because you had nothing replenishing you. It's the law of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, the reason the Dead Sea is dead, and there really is no life in there, there's some microbes and bacteria that's able to live in that, in that very crazy environment. But the reason that that is dead is, is one thing. First off, it has everything flowing in and nothing flowing out, and so it's stagnant. That's one problem we have. There's a lot of people that get stuff poured into them, but they never use it. But the other thing is true. Why don't you get in your car right now, not right now, after you eat your tacos. Get in your car, take off going west on Highway 70, and drive about 400 to 500 miles. And don't stop for gas. Some of you wouldn't make it to Winsville because you're one that likes to live life on the edge, the empty you put just a couple gallons every time. Others would get all the way to, to, to past um, Kansas City. But here's the thing. If you don't put anything in that gas tank, you're not going to move. And if you use everything up in that gas tank, you're not going to get anywhere either. Can I tell you today that while you can only be saved once, if you will, you don't have to, you don't have to be baptized every time you sin. That salvation is, is true and good for you. But can I just tell you today, you have got to get away from being a candle mentality where you come to a revival service and God sets you aflame and he puts a brand new candle in your life and you go six and seven months and nothing else is flowing in and you burn out and you're desperate for another revival service. You're desperate for a youth convention. You're desperate for a youth week. It's because you've self-consumed and there's nothing there. But what would happen if the children of God would say every time I come to church I'm going to unscrew that cap and I need the oil of the joy of the Lord I need you to fill my life and when you kneel down by your bed before you go to bed you're saying Lord fill me when you wake up in the morning you need to open your Bible and read a little bit and say Lord fill me you don't need to burn out for the Lord you need to shine as bright as you can sing this song anymore but I remember singing it as a child I remember singing it how many of you have heard it uh, give me oil in my lamp keep me burning give me oil in my lamp I pray give me oil in my lamp keep me burning keep me burning till the break of day you know those songs they, they're telling us something they're teaching us something See, I, I'm using this, this passage of Matthew chapter 25 to show you you need oil. They didn't bring candles. They brought oil. The reason Peter was able 
to say to that man in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And I want you to pay close attention to this. I know that the first and foremost reason, and we could say, well, it's because he was in the upper room and God filled him with the Holy Ghost. And you're right. But can I direct your attention to the first part of Acts chapter 3? What did it say? Peter was going to the temple to pray. If some of us, if Peter lived his life like some of us live our lives, and I'm going to let you decide if I'm talking to you or not. If Peter lived his life the way some of us live, Peter got the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost and he didn't have to do anything else. Why go to a prayer meeting? Why worship in church? Why read my Bible? Why listen to what the sermon says? Why do anything? I got the Holy Ghost. That's all I need. Can you imagine if Peter lived his life that way? But instead, my Bible teaches me all throughout the book of, of Acts that Peter, even though he had walked with Jesus and even though he was filled with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that he went on a consistent basis to the temple to pray. And he was, in fact, uh, how, how many remember Acts chapter 10, the story of Peter and Cornelius? What an incredible thing. Peter, he, he's waiting for the food. The, it's almost lunchtime. He's waiting for them to fix the food there in Simon the Tanner's house. He has a dream, vision. The Lord lowers a, a, a sheet and it's filled with all sorts of animals that were not suitable for the Jewish diet. And, and the Lord says to Peter, says, rise, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to defile myself. And three times it happens. And the point was God was trying to teach Peter that there comes a time when the things that were in the old, they, they kind of pass away. No longer are you living under that old covenant. And don't call unclean what I've called clean. And God was about to pour out his spirit on the Gentiles which had historically been an unclean people. Okay, most of you know that story. That story does not happen if Peter is not praying while he waits for lunch to go through. What was Peter doing? Peter was saying, hey, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost and I think I love it. I look back on that day when I was filled with the Holy Ghost but I've got to open up this oil lamp and I've got to keep pouring the oil in my life. I've got to keep making sure it's filled. I've got to keep making sure that I'm not consumed, that I don't wear myself out, that someday I go to do it and it's not there. I, I'm... I'm I look at Exodus chapter 3. If I could have any, any visual, and I, I hope you, you're getting the fact that I'm, I'm giving you some visual pictures. I've seen some of you pull out your phone and snap a picture of it. Good. Remember it. I'm giving you things that help you think. The Bible says that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him, that angel of the Lord that usually represents God himself. It's what they call a theophany. It's a, a visible representation of an invisible God. And so it was that the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And Moses looked and behold the bush. And I want you to listen to this. Behold the bush was burning yet not consumed. Had that bush done what every other bush in the life of bushes would have done. It would have caught on fire. In that desert dry area, it would not have lasted long. Any of you ever, any of you pyromaniacs like I am, you like to play with fire, you like to make campfire and, you know, like to do all that. 
go get some of those dry bushes and you throw them in the fire and like a flash that bush is gone, it's burned up and it's no more. If that bush would have been like any other bush, Moses would have never turned and never saw. You want to know why sometimes you can walk through life and nobody ever turn and ask you what it is about you that's different? It's because you're a flash in the pan. You come to church on a Sunday night and the presence of God is there and you're ignited. But by the time you get to Monday, you're used up like an old candle and you're consumed. And there's nothing left to shine. But oh, that I would look at a church across from front to back, from side to side. Oh, that the Lighthouse United Pentecostal Church would be bushes that are not consumed, bushes that are on fire. Could I tell you that Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of the living God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. If you translate that out, Brother Jonathan, a living sacrifice literally means one who is on fire for God yet not consumed and not dead I want it to be that every moment of my life, that every moment of my existence, that I have taken time to make sure that my lamp is filled so that no matter where I am, I can shine. I'm asking you, I'm not, I'm not trying to berate anyone. I'm not trying to give anyone a guilt trip, but I am wanting you to do some self-examination. And here's the question that I must ask you today. When's the last time someone was walking one way, stopped and turned around and came back to you and said, tell me what's different about you? Think about it. If that hasn't happened lately, chances are your candle is being consumed. But I promise you, if you'll ever get to the place where you can be filled, you'll use it. The, uh, there, there's two words I want to use tonight I'm almost done In fact, Sister Buford, I want you to come There's two words One of the words is found in the story of the prodigal This is what it says And, and this is, I'm kind of paraphrasing And when the prodigal son spent all he had There arose a famine and if you ever spent your money and wish you had it back, but once it's gone, it's gone. You spend your money, spending your money is a self-consumption. You can spend it good. This candle's doing a good job. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to the candles. Just trying to be politically correct. No, I don't want anybody to start picketing the church because I was mean to candles. But this candle has a lifespan. This candle can be spent. And when it's spent, it's done. We've already lost over an inch of this candle. But our theme this, this week, and honestly I hadn't thought about it until right before church and before the music department was practicing, I sit in my office and somehow that, that prodigal son, the word spent, came to my mind and instantly the word invest came to my mind. Because here's the difference between spending and investing. You're both 
using your money. Does everybody understand that? In, in monetary terms, if you spend your money or you invest your money, you're, 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 you're using your money. But when you spend your money, it's gone. Now, you might spend it on something good. I'm glad you spend it on a house payment or a rent payment or your car payment or food. That's good. But if you invest your money, there's something called a dividend or something that's called a return. And, and if you really work it, you can spend your money and still get a return. Can I tell you today, I don't want to spend my life as a Christian. I don't want to spend my life as a Holy Ghost filled apostolic. I want to invest my life. And the only way I can do that is to make sure there's something being poured into me so that everything that's spent is not just being used up and there's nothing behind it. I've got to go. I'm reminded of the story of the widow woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's those empty vessels. You know the story where the woman, she was going to lose her sons to the creditors. And the prophet of God said, I want you to go and I want you, I know you don't have anything in your house except a little bottle of oil. And I, I, I want you to gather every empty vessel that you can find and I want you to fill up every empty vessel. And that, that lady she, and her son, she went and collected every pot and pan and vessel and vase and glass and pitcher. And she took that little cruise of oil, that little 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 jar of oil, and she went to that first empty vessel, and she began to pour into that empty vessel. And it was amazing. Even though it was just a little jar, it filled up a five-gallon bucket, and the oil didn't run out. Man, that's amazing. She went to the next bucket, and she kept pouring. And the Bible says that as long as there was empty vessels, the oil kept flowing. But when there were no more empty vessels, the oil stopped. And then she took that, and she sold it, and God delivered her children from the creditors but there's something on that that in, in that story and I've used it different places but there's one phrase in that story that jumps out to me and that is that the Bible says she went in and she shut the door and then she began to pour I am so thankful for church and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be honest I, I love worshiping with you but the refilling that you need probably shouldn't only happen inside these walls. Because if you're only coming on Sunday mornings or Sunday nights and, and that's when you let God fill you, I'm going to just kind of help you out. Probably your week's going to be pretty rough because you're going to run low and your lamp's going to begin to sputter and you're going to have to, by the time you get to Friday or Saturday, you're just hoping you don't sin and go to hell. You're just saying, Lord, please help me just get to church. If you'll start going home and shutting that door, cracking open that Bible and say, Lord, I know my pastor preaches to me and the minister of this church preached to me, but God, I think I can read your word too. If you'll begin to kneel down by your bed or sit in your recliner and close your eyes and say, Lord, I need to hear from you, you'll find that he'll start pouring his spirit in you. And you'll find that your weeks go a lot better. Because you're not consuming your life. You're filling your life. I'm speaking to someone right now that you've existed in a burnout state for a while. You haven't felt anything in a while. And it's because you got a candle at some service one night. 
And you use that candle until it was no more, but you haven't yet figured out how to rekindle that fire. I want us to stand. Tonight, I'm asking you to trade the candles for a lamp. And say, God, I need that oil in my life each and every day. I want to be like a Peter who who has spent time with you. And and it's not just a day of Pentecost experience. It's not just that moment of salvation experience. But Lord, I want to be able to spend a daily time with you so that when somebody is in desperate need of a miracle, I don't have to try to find a candle somewhere in the dark recesses of my life. But there's a lamp that's been burning and it's never went out. And I can say, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. Philip was preaching an incredible revival. And God said, I need you to leave the revival. And I need you to take a journey down in the wilderness, the desert. And there you're going to meet one man, a man from Ethiopia. The reason Philip was able to do that was because he was filled with the Spirit of God. Even though he had been ministering and preaching, he wasn't wearing himself out. He wasn't consuming himself The reason Peter can hear the voice of God when God speaks and says, I need you to go to Cornelius' house is because he was spending time filling his life. I want you to close your eyes. It's a simple message, I know. But I believe I've hit some of you right between the eyes. And you need to start examining. I need you right now. Take spiritual inventory. Are you a candle or are you a lamp? Are you burning for the Lord but burning out? There's nothing replenishing. There's nothing coming. And one day that lamp or one day that candle is going to sputter and it's going to die. And you're going to wonder, where's the Lord? Are you spending time with Him? And you're allowing yourself to be filled. And you're walking with Him daily so that your lamp never burns out. Are you a burning bush, burning yet not consumed? I believe the Lord is speaking to you. And I want to open these altars right now. I believe each and every one of us need to step out and use the time.